Uh, it's got everything that a good Netflix or Marvel uh, creation and more. There's going to be much here that, that should grab our attention and hold it as we move through. A second reason why people seem to be hesitant to go to the Old Testament uh, is they will often say um, that it's too challenging, that, that it presents issues uh, that are just not maybe consistent with the New Testament or are just too challenging for us to work through. Now look, uh, that's going to be the case with Joshua. There, there's going to be some hard things. We have the whole issue of the land, the whole issue of the conquest of the land, and God's command to the people to go in and to completely destroy the Canaanites. Now, we're going to have to deal with that along the way, but I am of the opinion that copping out just because things get hard is a terrible way to approach life, and it's a terrible way to approach Scripture. Uh, we may be a lot of things at New Albany Presbyterian Church, but we should not be theological or scriptural uh, weenies, for lack of a better term. We need, as we kind of discussed here, we need solid food, uh, as Hebrews says. And often the best way for us to get that solid food is to wrestle with these difficult issues. And so there's going to be those here, and I want to encourage you to put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants and let's get ready for it, okay? Finally, people will often avoid the New Testament because they say that it is irrelevant, that, that it doesn't speak to us now as New Testament believers. Well, friends, it's my prayer that, that as we move through Joshua that we're going to find that, that what we have here is not simply Jewish history, four Jews thousands of years removed, but this is Christian history. This reveals to us God's plan of redemptive history, and in so doing, reveals to us the truth of our Savior. It reveals to us Jesus. You know, if we take what Jesus says as truth in Luke 24, that, that all of Scripture is about him, then that includes these passages that are going to be before us over the next few months. These next few yeah, months is probably right. Joshua and all of Scripture, it's for you and it's for me. It's for all of us who are in Christ because all of it is about him. Now, does that mean that the path to Jesus in every passage is going to be clear and obvious? No, it's going to require work and a great deal of caution on our part. You know, one of the things that I hope to teach us through this study is that our goal when we come to the Old Testament is not to force it to say what we want it to say. The goal is not to force the Old Testament to say the things, even good things, that we want to hear. Our goal is to get to the original meaning. What did this text mean for those who originally read it? What was God's intention to those people what does this mean in the grander scheme of redemptive history? And then we can ask, what does this mean for me? And so, in other words, the question that we don't approach this text with, really, any of the Bible with, is what does this say to me? What, what does this passage say to me? That's not the first question we need to ask. The first question we need to ask is, what is God's intention with this passage? What does he mean by this, and then, and only then, 
can we begin to make proper application? Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit's going to have to be at work in us to make this happen. We're going to have to be dependent on him at every turn. And so, with that in mind, let me open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll jump in. Father, we know that all of Scripture is God-breathed, and it is profitable for teaching and for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, uh, that your people might be equipped for every good work. And so our prayer as we begin this new series in Joshua is that you would apply your word to our hearts so that we might live as your people and so that we might be reminded of the glorious truth of our Savior. Uh, draw us closer to him through the work of your spirit, and we ask it in his name and for your glory. Amen. Well, let's read together uh, from Joshua, and we'll read all 18 verses here in chapter 1. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan, to go in to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites and Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all men of valor among you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment, disobeys your word, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Well, I suspect uh, that most of you, whether you are a sports fan or not, uh, could identify and probably could even tell me something about the coach, the man, Bear Bryant. 
Now, maybe you just know that he was an Alabama football coach who won a bunch of games. Maybe you know something about his toughness and his work ethic. Uh, maybe you know he wore a funny hat with a funny pattern on it that people still, for some reason, like to wear today. Um, some people that are sitting behind me right now still like to wear today. But the point is, is that you know something about who he is, even if you are a casual fan, even if you are not a fan of college football at all, you know something about him, and rightly so. Until a more recent Alabama coach came on the scene, uh, Coach Bryant was the, the standard he was the, the pinnacle of his profession. He was and is, to put it plainly, a legend. And so it, it makes sense that, that he would transcend the boundaries of college football and sort of become part of the American cultural consciousness. Let me ask you this. How many of you know anything about or even know the name Ray Perkins? Certainly, hardcore fans, Miss Sue Ann, she will know who that is, but most of us probably have no clue. Uh, Ray Perkins was the coach who followed Bear Bryant, and he did so surprisingly fairly successfully. In his four years there, he went 32-15-1 and and was 3-0 and in bowl games. Now, I root for a team who would be really happy with that sort of record. They would love that sort of performance. Uh, and yet, Coach Perkins, after four years, was gone. He, he left Alabama. Not only that, but he failed to live on, live on in the lore of Alabama, really, live on in the lore of college football. And my question to you is, why is that? Why did he, things end the way that they did for him, and why did he fail to, to continue on? Well, it's because, as our title suggests, it's hard, almost impossible, to be the guy who follows the guy. It's almost impossible to be the one who follows the legend, the, the standard, the expectations. They are often higher than any one person can bear. And so, you know, we always say, you don't want to be that guy to fill those shoes. Well, friends, as Joshua opens, it opens with that sort of change in leadership. A succession of sorts is occurring, and it comes, at least for the one who is stepping into that role with almost unimaginable precedent almost unimaginable expectations. Notice there, and this falls under our first point, the, the succession. Notice how the book begins. Moses is dead. Moses, who confronted Pharaoh, who, who led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. Moses, who spoke to God at the burning bush and on Mount Sinai. Moses, who delivered to them all of God's law. Moses, who, who interceded on their behalf over and over and over again when they had broken that law. The man who was their physical and spiritual leader for 40 years in the wilderness. The one who by New Testament standards 
was a legend. Maybe only under Abraham we have Moses. This one, this leader of Israel, he's gone. He is dead. Now, I want you to imagine what that must have been like for those individual Israelites, for for the people there on the ground. Here they are at the Jordan River. That's where they are as the book opens. They are right before the promised land, on the verge of going over and taking what God had promised to them, what their fathers and Abraham had waited on. Here it is. They have the command to go in and destroy and to fight all of these great Canaanites who, you'll recall from Numbers 13, the spies came back and said they were giants. That's the command they have. Go in and fight those people. And now their leader, Moses, he's gone. He's dead. This would be like Alabama playing for a national championship without Coach Bryant or without Nick Saban now. Everybody, everybody there had to be the least bit concerned. Everybody, that is, but God. Notice how how much of what I have said about Moses makes it into these first couple of verses here. How much of all of his great works and all that he did in the past, how much of it makes it here? Well, certainly it's implied The reality is, is God rehashes none of that here in Joshua. He doesn't refer to to any of those great acts of Moses along the way. In fact, all of this, given Moses' standing, it seems surprisingly brief. It seems surprisingly to the point. He's dead, and immediately Yahweh moves to the next person in line. He moves to Joshua, the son of Nun. No anxieties from God, no questions from God, no wringing of his hands. Rather, he just continues to move forward. He continues to move forward with his plan of redemption, with the person he had appointed to be next in line. Let's pause there for a second and just acknowledge how wonderful that is. We are all anxious. We we would all have been wringing our hands, certainly in this moment. And yet the one who was in control of it all, he was not anxious. He had it all figured out. His power, his work, it's not limited to, nor is it dependent on any man or any woman or any created thing. The power and the plan, it is his. And he will execute it through whom he chooses and how he chooses. And again, in this case, that is Joshua. Now, we should note that Joshua being Moses' successor was not a surprising thing. This is the way that God had planned it. Uh, We won't go through all of these various passages. I'll just mention them to you. But if you turn back to Exodus 24 or 32 or 33 or Numbers 13, you'll see Joshua serving all along the way as as Moses' assistant. Uh, And then in Numbers 27 and verses 18 and 19, we read of God uh, commanding Moses to invest Joshua with some of his authority so that one day he might take on this mantle of leader in Moses' absence. 
Uh, in Deuteronomy 1 and 3, God specifically says that Joshua will be the one to lead the people into the promised land. And then finally, in Deuteronomy 34, 9, um, let me read that to you. It says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded them. Uh, and so my, my point is, this was not a surprise uh, that, that Joshua was the one to take the role of leadership. But even still, I want you to imagine being in Joshua's place. Uh, sure, the, the people were probably concerned, but imagine how he felt. Who could be Moses? Who, who in the world could feel those shoes? How could Joshua possibly be the guy? Well, that leads us to our second point. We've seen the succession. Moses is gone. Joshua is now here. Second point is the promise, the promise that God gives. It begins there in verse 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land that I am giving to them. To the people of Israel. Now, for any good Israelite, this would have immediately drawn their focus to their father Abraham and to the promises he received in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17. Now, we saw the full extent of those promises a couple weeks ago in our Christmas series, and so we won't rehash them now, but I just want you to remember uh, as it stands here, Joshua, uh, as it stands here in Joshua 1, God has fulfilled uh, almost all of these promises. You know, the people now are numerous. They may not be a nation yet officially, but they are like the sand of the sea. They are a great people at this point as they stand on the other side of the Jordan. God, as he promised, has been their God. He redeemed them. He brought them out of Egypt. He has blessed them. Even in their wanderings, he blessed them. He gave them manna from heaven. He gave them water from the rock. There's one, one aspect of the promise that remains. And it's land. It's land flowing with milk and honey. That's what he had promised to Abraham. That's what he had promised to Moses. And as of yet, he has not delivered it. Now he says to Joshua, through you, Joshua, the promise will be fulfilled. It will find some level of fulfillment. You see that there in verses 3 and 4. God will do what he said. He will be faithful. And notice, notice how he reassures Joshua of that truth there in verse 5. No man, he says, no Canaanite, and also no Israelite, for that matter, will be able to overcome you. His authority, it will be as Moses' authority. He will have complete victory. And let me ask you this, what's the reason why that's true? Why will he be able to have this kind of authority? Why will he be able to go and have complete victory? We'll look at the second half of verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. 
I will not leave you or forsake you. Then go down to verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. In other words, God is saying to Joshua, Joshua and to the people, it was never about Moses. And Joshua, it's not about you. Think back to to Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. How eager was Moses to be the guy? He was not at all, right? He tried to come up with every excuse he could find to get out of it. But how did God assure him? Essentially the same way that he is assuring Joshua here. I will be with you. I will act. I will be victorious. Joshua, Moses, and you and I sitting here as God's people today, we can rest assured that he will fulfill his plan. He, let me, let me under, I've underlined it in my notes and highlighted it and put all kinds of stuff around it. He will do it. So, do not be afraid. In fact, be strong. Be courageous. Not because you are, because friends, frankly, speaking from experience, I know that we're not. Be strong and courageous because he is with you. Because you know that truth, that he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Ultimately, friends, it's not about us. It's not about Joshua. It's not about Moses. But it's about the God who is our God. He will do what he has said. That's the promise for Joshua, and that's the promise for you and I. But notice here, it's a promise that that comes with a command. And I was tempted to say that it was a promise that comes with a condition. And certainly, uh, the the promise and the way that that we act, our actions, they, they necessarily are tied together. In other words, you can't have one without the other, but we're going to see that that the promise is not conditioned on Joshua's or any other Old Testament figure's faithfulness, because if it was, we would all be in trouble, right? The the, the condition to follow the law perfectly, if it was conditioned on us, would disqualify us immediately, and it would disqualify Joshua too, as we're going to read through the book. And so, I didn't say condition, I said command, and that's right. He does command them here, he commands Joshua to act in a certain way. And notice there what he says in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Now, it's impossible to read that little section uh, and not catch glimpses of other Old Testament passages, right? Uh, If you turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, you hear God say almost the exact same words, you know, write this on your doorpost, uh, on your forehead, Everywhere you go, as you walk, as you come home, talk about this law. 
And then even more clearly than that, if you turn to Psalm chapter 1, you remember, who, who is the blessed man? Well, the blessed man is the one who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This is a universal command to all of God's followers. Leaders, as Joshua is, and laymen alike. The way to a closer walk with God, the way to blessing, the the way to a life consistent with his will and pleasing to him is not through some mystical experience or mystical signs that we look for. It's not through, you know, mushy, warm feelings. No, it's through knowledge. It's through observance of God's word. It's through obedience to his law. Friends, let me make this perfectly clear. Because it's a new year, and as we've said, many are resolving to do many things. If you are seeking a closer, more consistent relationship with God, the way forward is first through Jesus... And then secondly, through a deeper knowledge and commitment to God's word. That's why we have the the reading plan back there. Because I want us to be a people of God's word. I realize that that may not be glamorous. It may not seem cool enough for 21st century Christians. You know, we have all these plans and all these methods, ways we can draw closer to God. But it is the repeated command and message of scripture blessing intimacy in our walk with God courage and strength no fear all of those things they come through the word they come through following and listening to and knowing and hiding away God's word now notice the promise comes first and again I've put an asterisk and a star by this so it's important Notice, the promise comes first here. So what I'm not saying is that we need obedience to be saved, because that's not true. God saved Israel and he saves us when we are lost and when we are not obedient. But what I am saying is that promise, and because of that salvation, they lead us by necessity to obedience, to a love of God and to a love for his word. And so it's a promise, one with a command, but it's a promise to faithfully fulfill all that has been said to Abraham and to Moses and to Isaac and to Jacob, to all the patriarchs. The promise will be fulfilled. God's working through Joshua. And so we've seen the succession, we've seen the promise, and then thirdly and finally and quickly, notice here the response. Now, verses 10 through uh, 18 they may seem, this is one of those passages that may seem irrelevant to us. But, but notice, there is a response here, and it's twofold. First, it's a response from Joshua in verses 10 and 11 there. You know, emboldened by God's word, uh, with a sure knowledge of God's promise to him, what does he do? He acts, right? He goes out and he does what God says. He commands the officers to go to the people and prepare them to cross the Jordan, to take possession of the land. Officers of the church, 
that are here today. All of us. This is how to act as God's people. We act based off of what he has said with the assurance of his promise. And we go out boldly. We go out unafraid, trusting he will faithfully lead us as he has said. This is the way to act as Christians. It was his promise. It is with his word that we go out. Don't forget it. Don't forget the promise. And then act accordingly. So Joshua responds with faith. He responds with faithfulness. But then secondly, notice how the people respond. Uh, And specifically here, Joshua calls on these two and a half tribes, uh, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now that may seem random to you, but if you turn back to Numbers 32, and you don't have to do that, you can mark it and go back and read through it, uh, you'll remember there that these tribes, as they were getting ready to go into the land, they asked Moses to give them their inheritance there in Gilead. And the reason was is because they were herdsmen, that they kept livestock, and that land was good for that sort of lifestyle. And initially, Moses is very upset. He is angry with them for doing this because he thinks they're trying to get out of fighting for the promised land. And so he challenges them. He, he gives this impassioned speech. And by the end of it, these tribes agree that, that when the time comes, they will leave their wives and their homes, just as it says here in Joshua. They will leave their cattle behind and the men, they will come and they will fight. They will come to the promised land and they will fight alongside God's people. Well, now the time has come. Here it is. They're at the promised land. And so Joshua calls them to come. And in verse 16, they answer him. And they say, all that you have commanded, we will do. They, they recognize the Lord's call in Joshua's life. They accept his authority as equal to that of Moses. And after calling him to be strong and courageous... They agree to follow his commands. And friends, as we try to bring all of this to a close, what I want you to notice is that in doing that, they demonstrate a unity, a unity of God's people. You know, it it would have been easy, and certainly it had to be tempting for them to say no. After all, they had their land. They had their homes. They were settled into a normal life, a normal routine. It was going to cost them much to go and to fight. And they were going to get very little out of the deal. They already had what they wanted. But imagine how discouraging it would have been to those other nine and a half tribes if they had neglected to come. Imagine how disappointed they would have been to not have this extra manpower to go in and to fight the the Canaanites. There is a unity among God's people. One that requires commitment. One that requires sacrifice, even hard sacrifice. Here for the Israelites, it's a unity that is rooted in blood. You know, they were sons of Jacob, sons of their father Abraham. 
Friends, what I want us to recognize here is that for us, the bond of unity is one that is even greater. It's one that's even stronger than this bond of blood that these Israelites had. Because it's a bond that is in Christ. And friends, it's that truth that that we are in Jesus that, that leads us to our conclusion. You see, it's not simply our unity that has been made more concrete in Jesus, but it is everything that we have considered in this passage today. Jesus, according to Hebrews chapter 4, which you may want to mark because it's a passage we're going to come back to often in this study, but in Hebrews chapter 4, he reminds us that Jesus is greater than Joshua. In Hebrews chapter 2, he reminds us that Jesus is greater than Moses. These men were servants in God's house, but Jesus is a son, the son in God's house. In other words, they led with a derived authority, but Jesus' authority is the authority of a son. It's his by right. He is the one who should lead. He is the king. And friends, it is in him that the promises are ultimately fulfilled. You know, we're going to find as we move through Joshua, God's going to give them the promised land to some degree or another. But it's, it's not, it, it doesn't bring the rest that they had hoped for. It doesn't bring the peace that they had hoped for. There's something more that has to come. It's come. It, it is the rest that we find in Jesus. Not only that, not only is the fulfillment of the promise in Christ, but also the conditions that we talked about, the commands that we talked about, perfect obedience, it is fulfilled in Christ as well. There is where perfect obedience is found. He is the one who makes us a great nation. He is the one who unites us together. He has given us every spiritual blessing. And it is he who has given us an eternal land. Now, all that Joshua and Moses had represented to the people, it is perfected. It is fully realized in Christ. It's fully realized in our Savior. And friends, because that's true, because he is our high priest, the promise to Joshua is our promise as well And we know it will not be moved. No man, no created thing can stand before Christ's church. None. No trial, no pain will prevail. Because our Savior, he is with us. And he will never leave us or forsake us. I quote this passage probably way too often. But it's perfect for here. Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And then he says, I'm sure that none of these created things, none of them at all, what can they not do? Separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so, friends, as we begin a new year, let me encourage you, be strong, be courageous, go out into the world boldly, Go out proclaiming the truth of your Savior. Go out knowing the promises are sure. 
You will not be overcome because he is with you. Not because you are great, not because I'm great, not because the Almighty Presbyterian Church is great, but because our Savior, he is great. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful. Uh, for the way that you have prepared us for Jesus. You prepare us through these Old Testament passages. Uh, And more than that, Father, we thank you for the Savior. We thank you for the the boldness and the courage and the strength that we find in him, strength to face uh, a world that is lost, a world that is often hurtful, a world that fails us in so many ways. And Lord, we recognize in our own lives that that we fail uh, those around us in so many ways as we continue to sin against your law and against you. Uh, But Lord, you have have given us a sweet hope, even in the midst of all of that, a sweet assurance, a promise that will not fail, that you are with us and that you will not leave us or forsake us. And so we pray that, that with that knowledge, Uh, with the assurance of that promise that we would go out and that we would live accordingly. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.